This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Okay, we're going to start off looking at the big question. And the first thing to grasp about the real big question is it's not all about us. We're actually rather insignificant, except for the fact that there is one step that depends entirely on us. So that's, that's the way that works, okay? It's not about us. When we think, when you, when you think of the big question, what is the... What's the deepest question that you think that you know think of that we wrestle with as Christians? Any, any takers? I'm I'm a teacher, by the way, not a preacher. So you know, yes, you can raise your hand or even blurt things out unceremoniously if you need to. Why is there so much evil if God is good and is all powerful? Why was sin permitted? What an excellent you you've wrapped it up nicely. That's 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 the question. That's the one that troubles everybody, especially you know when something bad happens. You know, it's easy to kind of gloss over questions like that, but, you know, if I get in a car wreck tomorrow and I end up paralyzed from the eyebrows down, um, you know, that, that question is going to occur to me, you know, why did this happen to me, you know? Why does the Lord allow this stuff? So we wrestle with those questions. You know, uh, the whole chapter, first chapter, Patriarchs and Prophets, deals with that. Um, that was, that's actually the chapter title, Why Was Sin Permitted? Okay. Uh, she comes at it again in great controversy, um, and it uh, seems like there are other places along the way. That's what we wrestle with. That's what we think is the, uh, the big question, okay? But as important as that question is, it's not the big question in everybody else's mind. Now, when I'm talking about everybody else, I'm not talking about non-Adventists. I'm not talking about non-Christians or Catholics or Buddhists. I'm talking about non-humans. <laughs> okay. The rest of the universe. The rest of the universe has a different perspective. Their, their big question is more along these lines. Sin originated in self-seeking. Lucifer, the covering cherub, desired to be first in heaven. He sought to gain control of heavenly beings, to draw them away from their creator, to win their homage to himself. Therefore, he misrepresented. Okay, now that's Ellen White's word. That's coming from the perspective of one loyal to God. If we wanted to take the, if we wanted to just simply report the facts without taking a position on this, we would have to say, therefore he represented. And not decide whether he's, you know, not take a position as to whether he was representing accurately or not. She says he misrepresented. But from the angel's point of view, Lucifer represented something. He, he, he was promoting a perspective. Let's put it that way, okay? He misrepresented God, attributing to himself the desire for self-exaltation. With his own evil characteristics, he, that's Lucifer, sought to invest or to paint the loving creator. Thus he deceived angels 
Thus he deceived men. Um, there have been a couple of references already in the presentations. Um, Adam made a comment. I think Wes did too, if I remember right, uh, about the whole concept of the representation of the character of God. That's the issue. That is the big issue in the minds of the universe. Because the universe is left trying to figure this whole thing out. Okay? Um, for the rest of the universe, the original big question was... This is past tense because they've moved past this now. But the original big question was, which government is best? God's or Lucifer's? Okay? Because the great controversy at its heart is essentially a political campaign. Lucifer effectively said, I have a better plan of how to, how to run the operation. Vote for me. I could do a better job on the government around here. Vote for me. You know, Half of the angels did. Nearly half of the angels did. And then there was a big meeting in heaven, right? You maybe read the story. And, 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 and the Lord presented his, his side, and about 20% of them came back onto the right side. right? So it dropped from, from almost half, it dropped down to a third of the angels who stayed with Lucifer. Okay? So that was the big question. Now that question has been answered. The question of... Which government is best? That question was answered, and the angels have that all figured out there. They're not, they're not dealing with that question anymore. So um, we'll see why that is as we, as we move along. Let's put it that way, okay? So we're going to go to the beginning of the story because beginnings are good places to start. And um, let's go here. This is not the beginning of time or the beginning of Genesis 1, but it's still the beginning. Jesus is talking here, and he says, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Okay, What is this the beginning of? He was a murderer from the beginning. What's that, what, what is that the beginning of? Great controversy. Could say that? Sin, rebellion, okay. The moment Lucifer deviated from God's plan, he accepted a principle. He, he invented a principle, which we'll discuss in a moment. He invented a, a concept, a, a, a mode of operation that probably unbeknownst to himself made him at that very moment a liar and a murderer from the beginning. We'll see that in this moment. <clears throat> so this is the beginning of sin. There are some things that will always be mysterious about it. It's called the mystery of iniquity. We can't give a reason for why one created perfect in a perfect environment should become evil. We can't explain that. Otherwise, says if we could give a reason for it, it would justify it. There is no reason for it. So we can't justify it. Can't even understand it. So that's the mystery of iniquity. Not going to try and figure that out. Okay? But there are some things that we can figure out about it. And the simplest thing is this. When Lucifer said, God's plan is this, but I'm going to do this. He was effectively saying a couple of things. He was saying, God's not taking care of me. I can do a better job of taking care of myself. God's Pretty sharp, but in this detail, 
whatever it was, and we know that it had some. It, it happened at the time of the just before the creation of our Earth. And I have some suspicions there. I don't have anything to prove that, so I'm not going to go into that. But you know, um, when Lucifer said, "That's God's plan," but I'm doing this. What he was saying is, God is not taking care of me as well as I can take care of myself. It's the, it's the principle of self-determination. Basically, Lucifer said, I don't trust God this time. It's, it's obvious, isn't it? Can't you see that his idea is not a good plan? I have a better plan. At least for me. And the moment you adopt that principle of self-determination, of commitment to self-service and self-preservation, at that moment you become a liar and a murderer. Because, I'll pick on the young lady here, no offense, if times get tough, and it's between my good and your good, if I'm working on self-determination and self-dependence and self-preservation, I will lie to you. I will. Because my value is, is more important. And if times get really hard, I'm sorry, but I will kill you. That's sin. That's, that's, that's sin. Okay. Let's go on. <clears throat> that one thought, I can do a better job of taking care of myself than God can, leads to every sin in the book. Okay? If I don't believe God will take care of me, that's a loss of faith. Boom. I just don't trust him anymore. If I think I can do a better job of taking care of myself than God can, that's pride and stupidity. I mean, really? I'm supposed to believe I'm smarter than God? No, whatever. Okay. If I try taking care of myself in some way other than what God asked me to do, that's disobedience. I'm just doing the wrong thing. Okay. If my influence convinces someone else that self-serving is better than service, that's lying through my influence. And if I put myself first instead of loving my neighbor as myself, that's stealing. And under enough pressure, it will be murder. That's the great controversy. That is the foundational principle of a great controversy. Do I believe that God will take care of me? Even when it doesn't make sense. And something came up that didn't make sense to Lucifer. And so he said, you know what? This time, I just don't think that's the right thing to do. And so he preserved for himself the right of self-determination. Just, I hope you can absorb that one simple thought. It's, to me, that has been the most marvelous simplifier of, of theology that I've ever run into. Okay? Everything hinges off of that. Everything. And my feeble little mind, anyhow. Let's go on. Uh, God's plan, of course, is totally different. Self-renouncing love, self-renouncing love, is the law of life. The circuit of beneficence, where I do good to the next guy, and he does good to the next guy. Beneficence is just being nice, right? Okay, And he does good to the next guy, and it eventually comes back around to me. The circuit of beneficence is the law of life. The great law of life is the law of service. To give is to live. Self-sacrifice is the law of self-preservation. 
This is not Lucifer's plan. <laughs> this is the diametric opposite of Lucifer's plan. Okay? And then the, uh, the last one, I think I have one more of those. Yeah. I love this one. This is great. Self-renunciation is the great law of self-preservation. And self-preservation is the law of self-destruction. Seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? (laughs) You know what that tells me? That means that my intuition is all out of whack. (laughs) That's all it means. That's all it means. Okay, well... The conflict between the law of life, which had always been followed in heaven, in the universe, the conflict between the law of life and the new plan, the, law, the plan of self-concern, self-interest, self-determination, self-dependence, whatever you want to call it, um, the, I, I'm... I'm going to say something that I'm not going to take the time to even give you my best biblical defense of, okay? Um, and it could be argued with, and that's fine. If you don't want to buy this one hook, line, and sinker, that's okay. But I'm going to, I'm going to argue that, you know, in, in um, where is it? In 2 Thessalonians 2, 11, it talks about those who receive not the love of the truth, and, they, uh, and, and God gives them over to, to uh, they believe a lie, strong delusion, yeah, and they believe a lie, okay? Now, if you read that in any of the newer translations, you'll find a, a, what I'm told by those who know Greek, I don't, okay? Uh, but uh, those who uh, are supposed to understand the Greek, they, they tell me that it's actually, there's a definite article there. It's not a lie, like just some lie or this lie or that lie or pick any lie. It's the lie. They believe the lie. And I'm going to toss out my, you know, my kind of perspective here that the lie is, is Satan's lie. Satan's lie is that God is taking care of himself, and that's why we should too. Okay. Stop, uh, just one more little ad lib on this. Isaiah 14, you know, uh, I will be like the Most High. I will exalt myself. The lie there is that that's what God is like. Lucifer is saying, this is what God does. Come on. He exalts himself. He, 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 made, you know, he had all you angels. He told you to worship him. I mean, come on. Isn't that kind of self-exalting? And so he says, if, 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 if that principle works for God, it should work for me too. I will exalt myself. He exalts himself. That's the lie. That's the lie. Okay, that conflict is the, was the first big question for the rest of the universe. When Lucifer said, God isn't taking care of me as well as I could take care of myself, he made it necessary for God to show that he really was doing what was best for everyone and to show that Lucifer's plan would be an utter disaster. There are things in this great controversy that cannot be resolved by pronouncement pretend you're listening to a political campaign you got a couple of politicians and they're debating or whatever and the first guy uses what's uh, in 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 uh, debate right the study of debate um, there is a fallacy known as poisoning the well 
Anybody ever hear that? Poisoning the well? Okay. It's when I stand up, I'm, I'm candidate A, and I say, candidate B lies. Everything he says is going to be a lie. He's always lied, and I've got proof of it. Well, okay, so now I'm candidate B, and I say, actually, I'm not lying. And how do you know? <laughs> you, know you don't know. I mean, that guy said he lies. So how do you, you know, once somebody has said he lies, can you, you know, can you get out of that fix by saying, I don't lie? I mean, you might be lying. <laughs> I don't lie. You're lying. I don't lie. You're lying. I don't, you know. You can't get out of it by proclamation. Okay? You can't get out of it by, by pronouncement. The only way you can get out of it is by demonstration. Demonstration. You know, we like to, we play these little games, you know, oh, God could do anything. Oh, no, he can't. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to limit the power of omnipotence. But there are some things he can't do. He can't solve that problem with any other means than demonstration. He could not save human beings through any other means but the cross. There are things he can't do. There are limits. Even when you're omnipotent. Uh, don't, don't ask me to explain that. Anyhow, but there are limits, and that's one of them. Okay? God has to demonstrate that his plan of government is the best for everyone. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. I don't know how he's going to do that. My worst case scenario, how, do, how does God explain to some poor kid who starved to death in Sudan at the age of 18 months that that was the best thing that could have happened to him? It's a tough deal. How do you explain that? God will do that. And it will be seen that in every single detail, God has been, God's way has been perfect for every single individual. That's pretty impressive stuff. That's batting 1,000 for 6,000 years. <laughs> okay? Uh, I don't know how that's going to happen. But that's part of what makes this, the Great Conference so amazing. Yes, sir? So it will be demonstrated in every individual, not just for the overall good. No, yeah. Every individual. That was the best case for, for you. Yep. Best for that I believe so. I believe so. Every tongue, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. Just and true are thy ways, Lord God Almighty. No one will have a case to say, God, you didn't do the best thing for me. It's quite a demonstration to try and make. Yes, sir? What will be seen when all is seen clearly is that God did the best for I cannot explain it. You're, you're, you're raising good questions, and I, trust me, I've, I've thrashed my head around that one for a while, too. But <laughs> um, that's, that's, just, that's, what it's, that's what demonstration is about, though. He's got to answer those questions. Okay, let's go on. We're, we're going to run out of time. Um, <clears throat> let's go here to, uh, seems like an, a weird place to start, Okay. The 70 disciples had just come back from their missionary tour, and they, their first missionary tour, and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said this like, totally bizarre thing. The first thing he said, first thing Jesus said was, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Then he said, uh, 
rejoice not that the demons are subject to you, but that uh, your names are written in the book of life. That, that, that makes sense to me. It's like, don't get a big head over casting out demons. Come on. You know. But what was this all about? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Okay. Where do we normally... Um, well, let's put it this way. What, what's this talking about? What, what historical episode is this probably talking about? Okay. I heard two answers, and that's good, but we're going to go with the one I heard most of. Satan being kicked out of heaven. What Bible passage do Adventists go to when they want to demonstrate that? Or, or Revelation 12. Okay, so there we go. We're going to call this stage one, and you'll see why in a moment. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought, and they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, and was cast out to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Boom! I saw Satan fall, like lightning from heaven. When was that? Pardon? Before creation. Yeah, shortly before the creation of the earth. Okay? Okay. Now, notice um, when we make this connection right here, uh, we're actually talking, we're kind of linking two phrases Right here it says Satan was cast out back in uh, John. Um, is that the? Yeah, back in John 10. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall. So we're kind of equating this cast out with the fall of Satan, okay? So just kind of keep that in mind. Um, something to think about, okay? Notice this is called stage one. That's just an organizing element as we go along. Please notice the, uh, the reference here. This is Revelation 12, 7 through 9. Okay, just keep those numbers in your mind. And now we're going to move on to stage 2. A couple of months after the last comment, Jesus said this. He said, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Any grammarians in the crowd here? Spent 20 years teaching English and history and Bible and science. and Anyhow, um, what tense is this? Will be. Okay. The event is yet future as he's speaking here. Okay. Now, that's present. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the rule of this world will be. That's... Yet future. Sounds like the between the now and the will be, probably a short time. It, it sounds kind of like a cause and effect, pretty short-term type of a thing. What's Jesus talking about? What do we usually apply this to? The cross. Okay? This was, this was I think this was in Passion Week, if I remember right. This is just shortly before the cross. Okay? Hmm. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Okay, so the plot thickens a little bit here. This was uh, just before the... Okay, I've already covered that. Let's move on. Um, notice that it uses the words cast out. Same words that are used in Revelation 12. Cast out. Okay, interesting. If Satan's being cast out in this verse is the same thing as his being cast out in Revelation 12, then we could ask ourselves and say, is Revelation 12 really talking about the cross? Interesting, kind of an interesting thought. You know, there's some funny things the way inspiration uses this passage. Christ bowed his head and died. 
But he held fast his faith and his submission to God. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which, is, which accused him before our God day and night. Now, this is Ellen White, of course, Desire of Ages. You can see it there. What's the event here? Bowed his head and died. That's the cross. What's the verse she just quotes? Revelation 12. We just looked at 7 to 9. And now we have verse 10. And she's using that in, in talking about the cross. Well, kind of interesting. Well, actually, minor detail. We have a cast out in one place, and we have a cast down in the other, right? Okay. Um, hmm. Interesting. Let's go on. After the crucifixion, Satan saw that he had overreached himself. Satan saw that his disguise was torn away, that the character he had tried to fasten on Christ was fastened on himself. It was as if he had the second time fallen from heaven. Hello, what? The second time fallen from heaven. Hmm. At the cross. Actually, Ellen White sometimes makes the linkage even stronger. God looked upon the victim expiring on the cross and said, It is finished. The human race shall have another trial. The redemption price was paid and Satan fell like lightning from heaven. At the cross. Wow. Intriguing. Stages one and two. Let's move on to stage three. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of its Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and ye who dwell, you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Some of that sort of sounds familiar. We just looked at verse 10 a minute ago, okay? But... Let's go through and just catch the particulars of this. Okay? The accuser of the brethren has been cast down. There is a group of people who have beaten the devil, placing their lives at great risk in the process. And because they overcame, that's what therefore means, right? Therefore basically means because of what I just got done talking about, right? Because that group overcame, the heavens and everyone who lives there can rejoice. But these events are bad news for all the people who live in the wrong places because the devil is running out of time and he's really, really mad about it. Okay? So, pop that list up on the screen. Just step back 20 feet, squint a little bit, look at that. What are we talking about? What's that picture? Where do you see that series of events happen? Future, someone over here said? Revelation 12. <laughs> yes, Revelation 12, you're exactly right. Uh, but what time frame? What, what, where, who, who, who's this, uh, you know, accused brother? Who's the group of people? Who are they? What do we call them? 144,000. When is this picture? In a time. In a time. Hopefully, you know, not that long from now. Hopefully. So Revelation 12, 
paints a picture of the end of time as well as a picture of an event shortly before creation as well as a picture of the cross. Okay? The apostle John heard in vision a loud voice in heaven exclaiming, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Revelation 12, 12, verse we just read. Fearful are the scenes which call forth this exclamation from the heavenly voice. The wrath of Satan increases as his time grows short, and his work of deceit and destruction will reach its culmination in the time of trouble. 144,000, time of trouble, end of time. That's the picture. That's what we're looking at. So, Revelation 12 is talking about three different time zones. Or time zones, time episodes, whatever, something like that. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Let's take a look at another one here. Satan is an accuser of the brethren, and his accusing power is employed against those who work righteousness. The Lord desires through his people to answer Satan's charges by showing the results of obedience to right principles. What is this talking about? We've used the term before here. What is this talking about? Demonstration. Demonstration. The Lord desires to show through his people. You ever have a dog and you wanted to, you know, impress some visitor or something, you know, so here, Fido, sit, you know? You ever have a dog and you try to show off dog tricks? Has that ever happened to you that it doesn't always work so well? <laughs> you know? Sometimes I get the feeling that God is trying to show off some dog tricks and the dogs are not learning. <laughs> the Lord desires to show through his people the answer to Satan's charges. By obedience to right principles, by showing the results of obedience to right principles. That's a really key thought. Demonstration. Something, something, something remains to be demonstrated here. Well, I want to give you another... Uh, Uh, this this uh, this statement and the next one up on the screen they're just kind of floaters, okay? They're they're not directly in our chain of thought, so just uh, you know, kind of let this roll around in your head a little bit. This next one is the one that. Oh, I shouldn't even say that. I won't. I, I'll just keep my mouth shut this time and win a victory. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> this is this next statement is a great statement. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just leave it there. The completeness of Christian character is attained when the impulse to help and bless others springs constantly from within. It is the atmosphere of this love surrounding the soul of the believer that makes him a savor of life unto life. Okay? You know, we sometimes, we look at the 144,000 and say, oh, they're perfect. What does that mean? Well, it means that they... And I, you can make fun of this so easily, and it's just not even nice to do it, so take it you know, with a grain of salt. But I mean, you know, they're perfect. That means that they, they only eat the non-MSG Vegalinks or something, you know. Um, 
we can focus our attention of perfection on a lot of really kind of small stuff sometimes. Don't get me wrong, small stuff's still important. Okay? I'm not ridiculing carefulness in diet. I don't mean to do that at all. But that's not perfection. That's not the completeness of Christian character. Can it help? Yes, it can help. You know, you eat one of those stupid pizzas at 11 o'clock at night and you wonder why you're sick the next day, you know? Well, there's a reason, okay? Wonder why you're in a bad mood the next day? Well, there's a reason, okay? So, you know, all the little things, the little things, you know, they're all important, okay? But they're not the completeness of Christian character. The completeness of Christian character is attained when the impulse to help and bless others springs forth constantly from within. You know, I always put the word forth in there. I really like the word forth. She should have put that in there. But yeah, it doesn't have it. Okay, springs constantly from, not springs forth constantly. Okay, yeah. Okay. Well, let's go on. We've covered stages one, two, and three. Now we go to stage four. Oddly enough, we loop right back to where we started off. The 70 disciples have just come back from their missionary tour. And Jesus just made his comment... I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And then we get this. Like the apostles, the 70 had received supernatural endowments as a seal of their mission. When their work was completed, they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Jesus answered, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And a quotation goes on. The scenes of the past and the future were presented to the mind of Jesus. This is just the next sentence, right? I'm just continuing that quotation. Okay? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The scenes of the past and the future were presented to the mind of Jesus. He beheld Lucifer as he was first cast out from the heavenly places. Stage one. He saw that right there when he was talking to the 70 disciples. He looked forward to the scenes of his own agony when before all the worlds the character of the deceiver should be unveiled. He heard the cry, it is finished, announcing that the redemption of the lost race was forever made certain, that heaven was made eternally secure against the accusations, the deceptions, the pretensions that Satan would instigate. Stage two, the cross. Now, pause just a moment. The character of the deceiver should be unveiled. Actually, if you go um, to the chapter, it is finished in Desire of Ages. This is a great statement. I don't remember the page. It's on the right-hand side. Uh, 640-something, I think it might be. I don't know. Um, where right after, you know, after the death of Christ, she says that, Ellen White says that, um, that Satan was revealed to the rest of the universe as a murderer. His disguise was torn away. She says on that same page, the next paragraph I think it is, that the last link of sympathy with the heavenly universe was broken. Why did it take the cross for Satan to be revealed as a murderer? I mean, didn't that kind of crop up a little bit in, in, in people's minds when Cain killed Abel? You know, I mean, how many murders had there been in like, 2,000 some odd years. Didn't any of those murders count? 
Who said that? That's my conclusion. That's, yeah, 4,000 years. I'm sorry. Yeah, good. Thank you. Keep me chronologically correct. I caught that eventually. Everyone else had sinned. Lucifer, Satan, had the perfect dodge. All he had to say was, don't blame me. It's God's law that says they have to die. If you want to quibble over the distinction between lethal injection and hanging, you can, you can argue that all you want, but they have to die. God says so. Jesus hadn't sinned. It was the first innocent, actually, he is, was, and will always be the only innocent being to ever die. That's why Christ had to die. All those other folks, Abel, good man as he was, didn't count. He'd sinned. God's law said he had to die. Lucifer had the perfect dodge. It wasn't to the cross that the last link of sympathy was separated from the heavenly beings. Now, that's not the sympathy like, oh, poor Lucifer, that kind of sympathy. Okay. That's the, oh, I can kind of sympathize with his position there. It's, it's that kind of sympathy, right? Everybody understand that distinction there? Okay. So we've got, we're looking at stage four now, and the scenes of the past and the future, he, Lucifer, fall from heaven, right? He looked forward to the cross. Statement goes on. Beyond the cross of Calvary, with its agony and shame, Jesus looked forward to the great final day when the prince of the power of the air will meet his destruction in the earth so long marred by his rebellion. Jesus beheld the work of evil forever ended and the peace of God filling heaven and earth. When's that? After the, after the thousand years. Okay, after the millennium. Resurrection of the wicked, New Jerusalem comes down, you know, all that stuff, okay? So Jesus is looking for, this is what I'm calling stage four. We went stage one, stage two, we jumped over to stage four. Now she pops back. Stage three is not quite as clearly presented here. Henceforth, Christ's followers were to look upon Satan as a conquered foe. Upon the cross, Jesus was to gain the victory for them. That victory he desired them to accept as their own. And it's the 144,000 who will finally figure out how to do that and do that completely. So that's my stage three. Does that make sense? You following with me? We've got four quantum jumps. Question? Yeah, it's listed under stage four, but stage four is this one statement that it paints all four of them, actually. Okay, yeah. So the, the believers accepting and, and appropriating to themselves his victory. That's the 144,000. Okay? That, and that's, that's the stage three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stage four is at the very end of time. Okay, now we'll see the common denominator in this. Okay? Um, does anyone recognize this, this passage, by the way? Have you read this before? It is Desire of Ages. I mean, I taught Desire of Ages to my freshman Bible class for I don't know how many years, and I never saw that. <laughs> I just, I about blew me away when I finally, I, what in the world is she talking about here? But yeah, it's Desire of Ages. It's like, man, there's so much stuff in here, and you just read over it, and I just, I never saw that, but it's like four stages. And, and 
you know, it's any chemists here, right? You know, the whole quantum uh, thing with the chemistry business, okay? Um, it's like the great controversy goes forward in steps. It's not one even climbing the hill type of thing. It's boom, 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 boom. Watch. Here's our quick recap. 6,000 years ago, the members of the Godhead understood Satan's plans and arguments and rejected them. Uh, how many members are there in the Godhead? What about everybody else? They couldn't see through it. Lucifer was the smartest guy up there, short of the Godhead. He was subtle. How subtle do you have to be when you're going up against angelic intelligence, you know? I mean, I think we're talking major subtle. <laughs> okay? This is, this, is, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is out of my league type of subtlety. Let's put it that way. But the Godhead, the members of the Godhead were the only ones who could see through the end result of that simple principle of self-centered self-determination. You tracking with me? Does that make any sense? 2,000 years ago, angels and unfallen worlds understood Satan's plans and arguments and rejected them. When was that? The cross. Why did they reject him? Because Lucifer killed an innocent person. Christ, the Son of God. Innocent! And he killed him. And every angel looking on said, Wow, he'd do that to me too. If push came to shove, he'd kill me too. Can you imagine that 20% that said, man, I voted for that guy in the, first, in, 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 in the, in the, uh, the, the primary election? <laughs> you know? <laughs> there were 20% of the angels that were going down that path, and somehow the Lord prevailed to bring them back. Praise the Lord. There's still 33% voted for Satan. And they were on his side. Because that's what evil does to you. In the near future, hopefully, the 144,000 will understand Satan's plans and arguments and they will reject them. You know, Adam and Eve made one really, really bad choice. They, they chose the knowledge of good and evil. I'm just going to toss out a thought. I don't have a thus saith the Lord for this, so feel free to you know, throw this one away if you don't like it. But I just have a hunch that when we chose the knowledge of evil... God's basically saying, you know, I wish you hadn't chosen that, but since you did, you're going to understand all there is to know about evil. Um, The reference escapes me right now. What's the, what's the reference, you know, that um, uh, with temptation the Lord will make a way of escape? Anybody have that? 
1031. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I was pulling a blank on that. Yeah, we like that promise, right? Don't you like that promise? Amen. We like that promise. What do you think Satan thinks about that promise? You think Satan's happy about that? You think the controversy is going to end while God's still doing that for us? 1013. Okay, okay. I don't think the controversy is going to end while God is still pulling Satan's punches. I mean, how could it? God's making a demonstration about the ineffectiveness, the evil of Satan's form of government. And as long as Satan can stand there and say to the rest of the universe, he hasn't even let me give him my best arguments yet. They would vote for my government, but he, he won't even let me give him my best arguments. Something tells me that the 144,000 are going to have an experience with the full depth of evil. They have to. They have to. We'll see more why tomorrow, why they have to. But they're going to go through the very bottom of the slough of despond. <laughs> okay? They're going to go through every evil, rotten, miserable thing that, the Lucifer, that Lucifer has to throw at them. And the cool thing is, they're going to see through it and they're going to reject it. 1,000 years later, all the wicked will understand Satan's plans and arguments, and they will reject them. When does that happen? What is it that persuades them? They can't. What stops them? The big, the big panorama. The whole great controversy is laid out before them, and they watch the whole thing. It says they are... Captive. Yeah, you wonder, you know, what kind of fast forward, you know, I mean, maybe it's just, you know, there's no big rush. Maybe it'll take 6,000 years to play through the whole thing again. Yes, sir. No. The Holy Spirit will be present because the Holy Spirit is present in the life of all the unfallen universe. That's my opinion, my understanding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the chances of a human being going through that by himself? Yeah, no. <laughs> like snowballs and blast furnaces. <laughs> Just not going to happen. <laughs> okay. At the end of the millennium, every intelligent, created being who has ever lived will see Satan's plans and arguments and contrast that with God's plan of government. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, just and true are thy ways, Lord God Almighty. You know, the book of Job is a great portrayal of that. Remember the story? Lucifer's up wandering around in heaven. God says, oh, where did you come from? <laughs> Ah, oh, wandering to and fro on the earth. It's like, it's my turf. Actually, there's a statement. I don't have that here, but there's a statement that says that, that when Satan was kicked out of heaven, he considered that the next best thing was to be the ruler of the earth. I think our planet is rather special, actually. I think there's a case that could be made for that. He said the next best thing he could have to taking over heaven was to rule the earth. 
I don't know what that means, but it's fascinating. Anyhow, so he's up there in heaven. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? One guy. One solitary individual. Have you considered my servant Job? Now, come on. If, it had been, if we'd been arguing that on a human sort of basis, Satan's response would have been, you know, one guy has got like, I've got three million or whatever the population of the earth was then. I don't know. But, you know, I've got, you know, I've got millions and you've got one. What's, what, who cares about one? Uh-uh, uh-uh. Apparently, that's not the rules this game is being played out on. This is a winner-take-all, 100% guarantee, both sides. Because the presence of one guy on earth who is true to God was a big problem for Satan, and he knew it. And he immediately says, yeah, well, yeah, you're protecting him, God. You bought a hedge around him. That goes back to the, you know, protect you, you know, um, type of thing, okay? And, and, and Lucifer throws up a challenge. And he says, yeah, take away the hedge. Let me add him for a day or two here. See if he loves you. You, you, just, you bought him off. The amazing thing is that God says, okay, let's do that. I mean, this is a guy that he already kicked out of heaven once. <laughs> and he comes up here with an insolent, obnoxious, in-your-face accusation and charge. And God doesn't say, Lucifer, you're full of hot air. Just get out of here. He doesn't say that. Because this whole thing is played out with, what is the word? Demonstration. God couldn't say it. And so he says, yeah, okay. Go ahead. Just don't touch him. And then three days later it was, yeah, well, you won't let me touch him. Okay. Just don't kill him. Job is a great illustration of 144,000. He didn't know what was going on. 144,000 are not going to be able to understand everything that's going on around them either. That's part of the test, right? Okay. Well, four stages, at the end of which, now it's, it's fascinating, you go to Great Controversy, and it says that after this big panorama, after every knee bows, everything, everyone, even Lucifer, confesses just and true airways, but she says his heart is not changed, and he stands up. And filled with rage and fury, he tries to whip the crowd, you know, oh, let's go get him! Do you remember what she says? There is not one who believes him. You want to know what peer pressure is? It's having the entire universe know that you're wrong. That's industrial strength, peer pressure. <laughs> Every created intelligence in the universe says, you are wrong, and it's your fault, all the misery. That kid that died when he was a year and a half old, it's you. Every rotten thing that's ever happened in the universe, that's you! Oh, they probably say it sweeter than I do because they have more angelic natures than I do. But anyhow, you get the point, okay? Everybody, (laughs) everybody knows where the blame rests. Then the fire falls and it's finally cleaned up because a demonstration has been made. Now take a look at this list. There's one group of people that don't have a specific event 
that demonstrates for them. Can you spot them? I mean, they're not there, so you have to look between the lines. What's the one category of people that aren't on this list? Amen. All right, we got a good inductive logic logician back here. The righteous dead. They're not anywhere on that list. Now, the God has a, has a way to take care of that. Okay. But we'll see that tomorrow. Okay. Um, now, take home thoughts out of this. Number one, please catch the simplicity. The whole thing started when Lucifer said, I can do a better job of taking care of myself. That's all it takes to be on Lucifer's side. Somebody was talking earlier. I don't know. It was, it was Wes or Adam. I think maybe both of them. I don't know. I'm confusing things. I could do that. Talking about radical commitment. Let's just talk about radical trust. I, maybe I'm a kind of a weak-minded guy or something, but I, I, I don't make a lot of commitments to people I don't trust. <laughs> the great controversy is over radical trust. Do I believe that God is smart enough, loving enough, and powerful enough to take care of me? Those three attributes. Wisdom, power, and love. Just think of those three. If you've got wisdom and power but no love, you're in a world of hurt. Okay? Because God could do... He's smart enough. He could, he could zap you any way he wanted. If he has the wisdom and the power but no love. If he has the, the wisdom and the love but no power, you've got nothing, on, nothing going, man, because he can't do it anyhow. What's the, what am I missing? Uh, if you've got, uh, if you've got the, the love and the power but no wisdom, then you've got God doing powerful things in a dumb way. <laughs> okay? You need all three. If you can trust in God's wisdom, power, and love, regardless of what happens, you're good. You're good. If you can trust in God's wisdom and power and love, Regardless of what happens, you can make it through the time of trouble. That's pretty cool, actually. It makes it sort of simple in my mind. It's kind of like, Jesus loves me, this I know. If you keep singing that song and responding correctly to his love, of course, you know, it's your choice to how you respond. But if you can trust God and follow through on that trust, I mean, oh, come on. You know, it's like, I trust that this is the best plan, but I'm going to settle for second best just because I'm stupid. <laughs> Whatever. You know, if, if you can trust him and follow through with it, you're good to go. It's really very simple in, in that construction. Don't get me wrong. There's other ways of looking at it, and, and they're all valid too probably. But there's something beautifully simple about recognizing what Lucifer's first big issue was and seeing that God goes through... This is like damage control 101. Do we have any MBAs here? Right? You know? What do you do when your corporate record is attacked with, you know, it's like... Uh, who was it just recently? I don't remember. Some 
some product uh, had some poisoning issue or something. I don't know. The meat guys were doing it. Oh, yeah, we got E. coli and 17 million tons of hamburger. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, what do you do when your brand name is facing a public relations disaster? Yeah? It's damage control. Damage control. Lucifer created a public relations disaster for the Godhead. And they very methodically set about, step by step, rather patiently, waiting 4,000 years here, 2,000 years there, 1,000 years there, there's no rush. We're going to do this thing right rather than do it quick. But step by step, God's proving that his plan is right. The circuit of beneficence is the law of life. Take to give. Kind of like that. Okay. I think our time is up. Maybe even past. I'm not sure. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for your wisdom and your power and your love that they are perfectly employed and deployed in our behalf. We're thankful that you are patient with our foolishness and our lack of faith. We pray that you would inspire us with a radical level of trust that nothing might shake our commitment to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.